when I was little, I think I was in like third or fourth grade, uh, there was this park nearby my house. Like there was like a township building or something connected to it. And uh, me and my friend would go there all the time. It was like where we would play. There were swings. There was a bike track, things like that. It's also where I cracked my chin open on the concrete, had to get stitches. It was a great place. But anyway, we're there one day and we're walking around and I find a dollar bill. I'm like, woo, all right. And then I found another one. And then I found another one. And I ended up finding $7, like $1 bill at a time. I don't know what happened. And I remember going home and telling my mom, like, do I need to give this back to somebody? Like, what, what do I do with this great amount of money that I've just found? You know, and she's like, I don't know. And, and so we just kept it. And my friend found some. And I just remember thinking, like, I've made it. Like, I am king. Like, look at all this money that I have. And I went to a candy store because we still had those back then. Like, literally, there was a candy store in my town. It was all the woman sold was newspaper and candy. So I go and I'm like, do I want to get lemon heads or do I want to get a Hershey's with almond? If Brian Sawalski was here, I would apologize because that's a Hershey's product, not an M&M Mars product. But anyway, the great deliberation about candy, I could have bought like a pack of baseball cards. I remember Garbage Pail Kids. That, that was that era, right? I could have bought some of those. I don't know what I bought, but I know this. It's all gone now. Gone. Gone. That money was gone quick. I was glad to have it and it was gone quick. You know, the stuff I have is gone, the money's gone, and I didn't want to share it. I was glad that my friend found some money also so that he had his own and I had mine and we could both buy whatever candy and baseball cards we wanted. But there was like this rush, right? Like it was the first time I'd ever had money like that. You know, I was like, whew, like this is amazing. Or every Christmas, my grandfather would give us $50 and it was like, whew, like, man, this is just incredible. Me and my brother split the Nintendo when it first came out because we both had $50 to buy it. Like felt like kings, you know, it was just incredible. But at the same time, it didn't feel like enough. It was gone like that. The Nintendo was purchased, there was no more money, right? You know, like it's just, it just goes, right? And it just never feels like enough. And we live in a culture of acquire more, keep getting more, so you can be more, Right? Just get more, get more, get more, so you can be more. Get more wealth, get more stuff, get more status, get more power. Like, it's just constant barrage to get more so that we can be more happy, so that we can be more secure, so that we can be more respected, and so forth. I read a study. This is literally a recent study. The average American, they now think, sees between six and 10,000 ads a day. Average. Now, maybe that's not you, but think about it. Like, I realized it this week. When you press pause on Hulu, a commercial pops up now. Have you noticed this? And we're not just talking about driving down the road seeing billboards, but there's advertisements on the side of vehicles now. Every third thing in Instagram is an ad or on Facebook or Google's listening, and you've got these ads coming up on the sidebar, and it's like, oh, I was looking at tents this week. Maybe I need to get a tent. You know, like, it just, it's, it's a constant barrage of get more, get more, be wealthier, have more stuff, and then you'll be happy, and then you'll have made it, and then you'll be significant. And what I will say is that it's working. The propaganda ad machine of this capitalistic country is working. The average American home, you know, I need to say this right here. I need to give an, you know, attribute this. I listened to a podcast this week, which I sent everybody in the weekly email. It was on minimalism. Highly encourage you to listen to it. Um, it, it, was, it was really good. So some of what I'm stealing right now is from Joshua Becker um, and his interview with uh, Carrie Newwolf. But anyway, 
The, the average home in America has tripled in size in the last 50 years. Tripled in size. It's like you go to Bethlehem and you see some of those like, you know, some of those houses that are all, you know, what are they, 1,000 square feet, 1,200 square feet? Like the average home has tripled in the last 50 years. And yet 10.6% of Americans have storage units. 40% say they can't really use their garage because how much crap is in the garage, right? There's just so much stuff, so much accumulation of wealth and clutter and all of these things that we have. There are more storage units than McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, Wendy's, and Starbucks combined. It's easier to find a storage unit than a McDonald's. Think about that. And if you think about it, you probably passed one or two on your way here today. There's one in town. There's one on Hector. You know what I mean? Like, it's like they're everywhere. So we can store all of our extra crap <laughs> because there's not enough room in our triple-sized home, right? It's just, it's working, right? Yet, 80% of Americans report financially related stress. 80% report being stressed about money. So could it be that our money and our accumulation isn't actually working? It's not actually producing what I would call full life, what Jesus would call full life. So I'm saying this now because, because here's what I think. We're actually in the upper echelon. We are in the minority compared to the majority world in, in our wealth. And now, granted, it's relative, okay? I understand that. But we're doing okay compared to the majority world in this country. Uh, you know, a, a sign, this is one of my understandings of poverty. A sign of poverty is, is your lack of choices, like you just don't have a choice in the matter about your clothing or your car or the food that you eat. So like think about the amount of choices that you've made this morning already. Do I want this outfit or one of these other 60 that I could pick from? Do I want to have cereal for breakfast or eggs or do I want to wait for a big lunch later? Which car should we take to church this morning? Should I set my alarm on my phone or on the actual alarm clock that's on my bedstand still for some reason? Right? But just the choice, like we just make constant choices. And even if you don't consider yourself wealthy, we live in a culture that says you should be. And if you were, then you would feel good. Then you would be happy. And today, what we're going to get into, yes, I'm talking about money and I'm talking about wealth. And I joked and said, I'm going to pass a plate today. No, we're not going to do any of that. Okay, so just relax right now. If you're used to hearing pastors talk about money and then getting like shaken up for money, not going to happen. But James is warning us about wealth, the danger of wealth, the arrogance of wealth, and how wealth often fights the gospel. All right, so I'm just, I'm trying to put it into context that it's easy to read this and be like, oh, those are those wealthy people back then, but I'm telling you, it's actually us too. Now, we might not be as evil as these people he's going to rail against, but we all have a tendency to either want wealth or be wealthy, right? And so I'm just trying to give us some, some parameters for this. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to James 5. Uh, we, we've, we've made it into the final stretch here of James. And so we're going to cover these first uh, six verses. James says this, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail. Come now, you rich people. Now, scholars, they argue about this, whether or not he's speaking prophetically to people outside of the church and he's just sort of saying like the way Old Testament uh, prophets would, where they would like rail against other countries. 
I tend to think that he's speaking to people in the church. Whether this is a letter or a sermon, I feel like the rich have come up multiple times in here and they've been addressed before. So I feel like he's addressing rich Christians, rich people who are in the room saying that they are Jesus followers. And he says, come now you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth eaten. They've built up so much stuff that it's starting to rot. Your gold and silver are corroded. Uh, it's like the, the word there is like rusted, like the metal is being eaten away. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is James coming in hot like he does, man, just like right at him. You have stored up treasure. You have really the, the word there is like you have treasured these things up. You have valued these things so much that you're, you're hoarding and collecting these things in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed or, or harvested your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Uh, that really is the Lord of armies. It's like God is in charge of many, many armies. And, and it's these cries of these workers has reached his ears. The cries of the poor, the broken, have, have reached the ears of the God of armies. Uh, verse 5, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. All right, let's go home. Right? Terrible wealthy people, right? James is warning them. He's warning the rich. So he's warning them saying, look, look, you, you have accumulated this wealth and it's going away for some reason. It's rotting away and it's in these last days. It's in this day of slaughter. And so this is sort of Old Testament language for the, for the day of judgment, that God is going to come and make things right. And he's saying your wealth is useless. It's useless. And it's actually speaking against you, he's saying. So he's warning them that it is going away and God is coming back. So be ready. And so I want to read something again from, uh, from Luke 12, because I think James is often um, running parallel to his brother Jesus, like he's speaking Jesus's words just in his own way. I want to, I want to read something that Jesus spoke. It's a parable uh, in Luke 12. I want to read uh, just this story. So, so Jesus has been preaching. He's preaching about this kingdom that's coming even for the poor, and we should love one another, and, and we should care for one another. And verse 13 of John 12, I mean, uh, Luke 12 says, someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is probably a younger brother saying, hey, teacher, you're talking about caring for the poor and being fair. Tell my older brother to split the inheritance with me evenly. And Jesus says, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable or a story, right? An analogy. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and get a storage unit. He says, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
He's saying, what's the use of these when God returns and puts things right? That's how it is with the one who stores up or treasures up things for himself and is not rich towards God. James is channeling Jesus here, and I'm going to read more of that later, and you'll see why I think that. Jesus taught about money regularly, many, many times. Over 25% of his parables are actually about wealth and about money. It's very important to Jesus, not because he wants to tell you you're bad for having money, but because of the heart issues connected with it. He knows that wealth battles against the gospel. You know, he's saying things like, give all you have to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Or, you know, the the famous story about the, the rich man who goes away sad. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to come into the kingdom. Why? Because of the heart issues at stake in the heart, in the hearts of the wealthy. They don't think that they're in need because they've got everything stored up. Everything's good. Why would I be in need? And Jesus says, that's why it's easier for a camel to go through eye of a needle than a rich man to come into the kingdom. The issue is not wealth. So please hear that. The issue is not our stuff. The issue is not money. Like money's bad and only poor people are good. Some people have thought that. It's really, it's the heart that matters. It's where the heart is in relation to the kingdom that actually matters. So James is warning them that your wealth is coming to uselessness. God is coming back. You better be ready. Wake up. Pay attention, you rich people. Wake up. God is coming back to judge and put things right, and your wealth will be useless. So James then goes on to address these four different issues. Right? We're going to blaze through these pretty quickly. The first thing that he's addressing is like hoarding, holding tightly onto their stuff, all of the clutter that's built up, the clothing, the gold, the silver, the wealth, the money. And they have all this excess. They're in, the, they're in the top minority, probably landowners, it seems like, which would have been rare in those days. The minority would have been landowners. Everybody else was like daily workers, trying to go out and just farm one day at a time. And, and these folks, these rich folks are loaded down with this clothing that's now being moth-eaten, these this precious metals that are now corroding and, and rusting. Maybe they needed a storage unit as well, a vacation home where they could put their other stuff in those cities that are far away we talked about earlier. And James is saying there's this heart issue that they have treasured up all of these things. They have valued up all of these things. And it indicates that it's not just stuff to them. They really value it as integral to who they are as people. That is really, really important to them. And they better have lots of it. Why, why do we treasure our wealth? I think there's two, two main reasons that all of us want money. And these are normal reasons. Happiness, we know that it provides things for us, right, that, that give us joy. Or security. We want to be safe. We want money so we can have clothing, so we can have shelter, so we can have food, right? And these are basic reasons. This is, like, it's okay, God gives them to us. God calls us to work and to work the earth, and to, like, that's fine. Like, that, that, again, the problem's not wealth, but he's saying they, they are counting on all of their happiness coming from wealth, all of their security coming from wealth, and they're building up of all these things. And James is saying, no, don't do that. Don't overvalue wealth and clutter and stuff. And again, I think he's echoing Jesus. We'll continue on in this passage in Luke 12, uh, verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, Don't worry about your life. You hear security in there? Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens or the birds. They don't sow or reap. 
They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father, listen to this, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Do you hear him valuing the kingdom, being with God, as more important than the accumulation of wealth? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven, listen to this, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, your heart follows your treasure. So where are you placing your treasure? That's really what he's after here. This excess that they have, this stuff that they've built up, actually speaks against them to God, James is warning. He's saying this rusting metal actually speaks out negatively about you to God. And he's warning them, God is going to come back and judge the earth and make all things right. And whether you're wealthy or poor doesn't matter. Zero matters zero. It's the heart that matters. And he's saying, so where your treasure is, is where your heart is going to be. So he's criticizing them about hoarding. And then, he's, and then he starts criticizing them about withholding or defrauding, depending on how you interpret the, the, the Greek here. There's this, there's this sense that they're not paying their workers, that these workers are mowing their fields, reaping the fields for them, and they're either stealing from them, not paying them enough, or, or, or just withholding from them and not paying them their due. And so, like I said, these are, these are literally people who are going out on a day-to-day basis looking for work. And these rich folks are finding them or they're coming to their farm and they're saying, fine, I'll put you to work, I'll pay you. And these folks need this money for their daily bread. Like they will take this money and go and buy food for the day. And it turns out that these rich folks aren't paying them. They're ripping them off. They're not respecting them as as imagers of God, right? People made in the image of God, respecting them, giving them dignity. They're saying, no, 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 I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna keep getting fat and happy on my own. Thanks for working for me. Just bring it all to me and I'm gonna store it up in my storage unit. And they're not paying them what they actually deserve. And again, what James says is their cries are reaching God's ears, which is both condemning to the wealthy, but also a promise to the poor, is it not? That God hears the cries of the broken, those who are ripped off, those who are downtrodden in society. That the Lord of armies, who has this army of angels at his command, is hearing the cries of the poor. And James says, watch out, rich. (laughs) Watch out, you wealthy landowners. The cries of the people who you are abusing is reaching the ears of the God of armies. And then he's critical of them about their indulgence or their over-self-indulgence. 
For some reason, this one thing just stuck out to me, and I don't know why. When he criticizes them for living luxuriously, the word there actually means um, like living a soft life, a dainty life, an easy life. And all I could picture was like the old time, like cartoons or pictures you see of people just like laying on a couch eating grapes, right? Someone's fanning them while the workers are out doing the hard stuff. And man, our American lives are so soft. They're so dainty. We have like no fortitude. And our lives are so comfortable. And think about all the ads that you will see today of like, be more comfortable. Take it easy. Relax. If you get this thing, then your life will be easy. It's just selling a soft, easy life. And and it reminds me of like a soldier that's not ready for battle. Just weak, ineffective, soft, doesn't understand the reality of the situation that is at hand. Doesn't that sound like this? James is like, wake up. God is coming back and going to put things right. Are you just going to be laying on a couch eating grapes? Like there's, he's after something in this. And, and, and I think it's so often something that we learn through our, our, the ad campaign that's trying to get our money time that we then pass on to our kids and we want life to be so easy for them. Now, I'm not saying make life intentionally hard for your kids, okay? I'm not saying that. But there is something in like, wake up. Be aware of what's happening, that there is a real battle happening for our hearts and minds. And we succumb to it on a regular, almost daily basis. They're living for their comfort. They're living for their self-indulgence, for their pleasure, for their ease, rather than for justice, rather than for the works that God has called them to do. Rather than living for others, they're living just for themselves and their own comfort. And he says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Again, James just, boom. He's talking about like a cow that's like eating all this food, just getting fat for the day of slaughter, just like ignorant that they're about ready to go to the butcher, right? This is, again, this is the picture that he's trying to paint, the seriousness of the situation that he's trying to help these rich folks understand. Are you uncomfortable yet? I was so convicted in reading and studying for this this week. Like, man, my life is so easy. I'm so soft. I just want comfort. I'm so lazy. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I'm reading this like, ah. Then he says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous who does not resist you. And again, we don't know if this means in in condemning them that they have brought judgment against the poor somehow. You see that earlier in James, it seems to be that James is like, don't you know that the rich are the ones who are dragging you into court, he says? So we don't know if they're condemning them somehow. We don't know if there's like land grabs that are happening here and they're defrauding the poor in that way. We don't know if they're bringing up false you know, things against these poor people. And that's why they're then condemning them and saying, well, I'm not going to pay you then because you acted like this. We're not quite, quite sure what is going on with that, but somehow they're, maybe they're influencing courts. Like we don't, we don't know, but it seems to be that he's saying you're, you're even condemning the poor. You're speaking against them. And then somehow maybe they've actually killed people who are poor. Murder gets mentioned like three or four times in James. We don't know if that's what's happening or if these poor folks are dying because they're not getting enough money to buy food. Maybe they're dying, they're getting worked so hard. I mean, like this is nasty stuff that James is just hitting head on, saying you're condemning and killing the righteous. But I also think underneath it is this allusion to Jesus too, of like you've condemned and killed the righteous one who is ultimately Jesus in scripture. And if you remember in Matthew, Jesus actually identifies with the poor 
Do you remember this when he says, if, if you go into a prison and care for people, if you go and you distribute food for people, if you clothe the naked, you're actually doing it for me, he says. And so there's this sense here that maybe James is bringing that into the picture, that when you're treating the poor in this way, you're actually treating the Savior like this. You're treating Jesus in this negative way, and you have taken part in, in killing Jesus. So he's warning them about their, their hoarding, their, their withholding and defrauding, their overindulgence, their condemning behavior and their murderous behavior. And friends, we need to receive this warning too. We need to receive this warning to the wealthy. Here's why. The world, okay, the culture around us, the world, the flesh, like what our fleshly selves want, and the devil himself, the enemy of God, are all warring against the gospel in us and in our world. And they tell this great lie. And at the root, here's the lie, at the root of our quest for uh, money and for stuff and for accumulation is, is this lie from the world, the flesh, and the devil that says, God cannot and will not give you enough. This is the lie that our flesh tells us, that the world and our culture tells us, and that the devil himself tells us that God cannot and will not give you enough. Go all the way back to our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Isn't that what they were told? When the devil comes along and says, God's not gonna care for you. You Take more. You better go get more. It's been a lie from the beginning that God's not good enough. He's not gonna give it to you. So you better get it all for yourself while you can. And so we live in this world and our flesh and the devil telling us that we must find our own happiness. We must get our own security. We must build up all these things so that we are okay and secure and happy. And it's a lie. It's a lie that we're going to find it in our stuff. It's a lie that we're going to find it in our wealth and in our power and in our influencing. It only comes from Jesus. It only is found in living in the kingdom. This is where full life is found. And what this reminded me of is the parable of the sower. Remember this? When Jesus says there was a parable, there's a farmer who goes out and sows these seeds and they fall on different kinds of soil. And you remember one soil, it sprouts up and the sun scorches it really quickly. Another one, it starts to sprout up and birds come and eat the seeds. Do you remember what the other one was? It's sown among the thorns. And he says, as it starts to grow up, the thorns choke it out. Remember what he says that was? He says this, Others are among the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but cares of the world, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and prove it unfruitful. Deceitfulness of wealth. These other things come in and choke out the gospel word that gets planted in our hearts. We can't say... We can't say, I want to be more generous and I always want more at the same time. You can't reconcile those two things. I gotta get more. I wanna be generous. It doesn't line up. And that's why Jesus is saying it chokes out the word and proves it unfruitful. Look with me at 1 Timothy. Paul, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, about this as well and warns him about wealth. He says, but godliness, this is a great verse to memorize, man, if you want to fight covetousness when it shows up in your spirit, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. 
If we have food and clothing, if we have food, clothing, and maybe I would add shelter to that, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Friends, there's a stark warning about wealth and how it combats the gospel and how it fights the gospel in our hearts and in our souls. But here's the flip side of it. We don't have to live in that anymore. We actually get to experience full life in the kingdom with Jesus. That's what we get to do as a church family and as individuals is be a people who are generous. We get to do that. We get to live like Jesus and with him in being generous to one another, to our families, to our friends, and to the world. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Man, this is just a phenomenal verse. Again, just one that, that maybe you want to commit to memory for the sake of just having it in your heart and at the, at the ready. Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. There's a direct correlation between the gospel of Jesus and us being generous, between what we have received from God himself to then turn and give to the people around us. This is why, you know, this is what James talks about earlier when he says the poor will be exalted and raised up, the low, the humble will be raised up. This is that, that, that process that happens when we come to understand the gospel is that we move from a place of inner total spiritual depravity and brokenness to a place of being raised up and seated with Jesus. And Paul's saying, because of what's happened in the gospel, because of what's happened in the resurrection, you now get to go be people who are generous. You have been given so much in Jesus that now, Jesus says, much is required of you, right? We get to go and be this kind of people to the world around us. So think with me about the gospel for a minute. Think, think about, the, like, take those four things, hoarding, withholding and defrauding, indulgence and, and being, you know, condemnatory or murderous and flip them on their head. And now think about what God has done for us, right? God gives us uh, a grace that we did not deserve. He gives us his wealth his power, his royalty, his kingdom. Romans 8.32 says this. He did not uh, even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. We receive it. How will he not also with him grant us everything? God did not hoard his wealth. God did not hoard his kingdom and instead says, you can have it. I actually want you to have it. And rather giving us the punishment that we deserve for our brokenness and flipping him off and walking away and saying, I'm going to go get more myself. He says, I'm going, to give it, I'm going to give you the kingdom. You can have it in Jesus. And rather than the punishment that you deserve and the separation from me, I actually want you with me. And he doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, give us what we actually deserve. The wages of sin is actually death. That's what we have earned. But he's saying, no, no, I'm going to give you life instead. So he doesn't withhold and defraud us. He gives us what he wants to give us, which is something we don't even deserve. Jesus did not hold on to luxury. He did not hold on to the soft life of living in God's glory in heaven where everything is at his disposal. But instead, what does Paul tell us? He becomes a servant. He takes on human likeness and walks in our midst to, to the point of death on a cross so that we can be exalted in him. He doesn't hold on to this and self-indulge 
for his own sake. Instead, he gives us all things. Hear the generosity in that. And Jesus did not come to condemn. Jesus did not come to kill. He came what? To give life. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I've come to give you full life, abundant life, happy life, blessing. Like this is what Jesus wants for us. He's come to give us true life. Again, back to Timothy, just to sort of wrap this up. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, instruct those who are rich in the present age, meaning these last days before we get to the judgment, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth that rots and moths eat it. People can come in and steal it, but set their hope on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good and to be rich in good works. Does that sound like James or what? Genuine faith does the work of God, right? To be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Friends, the lover of our souls is telling us what true life really is. And it's not in the accumulation of wealth. It's in treasuring things up in heaven where God is by being generous, by people who are willing to respond to the gospel in generosity to the world around us. This is what true life really is. And we get to live it. No one says we have to. There's no religious legalistic obligation that says you better do this. We get to live it. Like this is the privilege we have in living in the family of God. So here's what, I'm asking us to do. Resist the lie. Resist the lie that says I have to go get more. I have to secure all of this for myself, that my happiness is going to be found in a storage unit somewhere. Resist that lie. Those 6,000 ads that you will see today coming at you in a barrage and say, no, 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 I see through this crap. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to believe that I have everything I need in Jesus, and I'm going to turn around and be generous to the people around me, whether it's my kids, my neighbor, my coworker, my community, whatever it is. Resist the lie that, that wealth and stuff give us full life because they don't. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And for those of you who are thinking, yeah, but what about, like, what about people who need more money? Well, give it to them. Like, we're so wealthy, we can do that. I mean, we can be the Acts-type church that sees a family in need and says, well, I'll pay your mortgage payment. You need a car? I can give you money towards that, right? Like, so that, like this is underneath all of this. Like, imagine this lifestyle. Imagine the community that this could be. So if you want to know, all right, if you want to know, like, this is convicting. Okay, this was convicting to me this week. So I'm not just preaching at you, all right? I'm with you, coming under the authority of Scripture here. If you want to know what you really believe, where your heart really is, look at your spending. <laughs> like, I was so convicted this week. Look at, look at your, your stuff. Look at your bank account. Look at your, your accumulation. I think like, what am I doing with this? Am I being generous to the world around me? Am I actually experiencing the fullness of life in Jesus that I can turn around and know that he's going to care for me so I can give these things away? So those four things. Don't hoard. <laughs> don't hoard. All right? I'm not talking about like hoarding the show. Like hoarders, whatever that show was, remember? I'm not talking about that. I mean, maybe that, maybe, okay, certainly that too, but, but, but don't hoard. Like, certainly save, 
Proverbs call us to be wise with our money, to be good stewards of what God has given us, good managers, of course. But budget for generosity, maybe? Like, how can I bless people around me? How can I take some of this money that God has given me to be ready to, to give it to someone around me that's in need? I'm not just talking about giving to church, okay? Please hear me in that. I'm talking about making a decision in your soul to say that being generous to others is worth it. That's being rich towards God instead of just self-indulgent. So don't hoard. Don't withhold or defraud, meaning be honest in your finances. Pay your taxes. They go to actually help the poor. Relax, I'm not just talking about socialism, okay? Like, I mean, like, like there's a system in place here to care for the poor. Pay your taxes. Or, or uh, you know, be generous to those who serve you at a, at a restaurant. The working poor, often, right? Pay your workers what they actually deserve or more because of the generosity that God has given you, right? Don't overindulge. Take a vacation. I will take two this summer. Okay, like I'm not, again, I just want to be very clear. Like this isn't some legalistic thing. God graciously gives us all things to enjoy, it says, right? He gave us all of creation to enjoy, certainly. But, but don't overindulge. Don't be soft. Jesus is coming back. There's a battle at hand, right? Like there's a real battle happening for our hearts and minds. Don't be soft. Use your wealth to bless others and join God on mission in bringing the kingdom to this world. And don't, and this is a funny one, but like don't condemn and kill. Which again, I don't think anybody's gonna go out and murder anybody, but, but, but don't condemn the poor. Don't look down on the poor. Remember them as images of God, just like you and me, and work to lift them up. That might mean fighting something systematic that's keeping people in poverty. It might be just seeing your poor neighbor and and bringing over a meal and just being hospitable and having them come into your home. I don't know, but don't condemn and kill the poor. We get to do this as the family of God. This is a privilege. A person's life is not in the abundance of things, Jesus says. And Jesus is coming soon to make all things right. Trust him. (laughs) Be generous because he has been generous to us and find the life that is truly life. And can you imagine what this would look like? Just imagine what it would look like. Look like the book of Acts. Read the early chapters of Acts and what were those people doing? What were those wealthy landowners doing? Selling their land so they could give to other people in the church. It's incredible. We could do that. We have the ability to act like that. Whether it's a couple hundred dollars here or there to help somebody pay a mortgage payment or literally to pay someone's house off. I don't know. But I know that our collective ability is to act like that through the generosity of Jesus. Then turn into generosity towards one another. Friends, find the life that is truly life. That Jesus is enough.